We are in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33, entitled, The Message, A Storm is Coming. As you're turning there, just in case uh, you work on the memory verse and you look in the memory verse book, um, I, don't, I don't remember why, but um, anyways, I translated verse 14 in the memory verse book, it's my translation so it's different than the ESV, at least by a couple of words. You can memorize it out of the ESV is fine, but if you happen to be looking at the book, there is some word differences with my translation and the ESV translation. All right, uh, if I'm going to find Proverbs, I'm going to have to go to the Old Testament, I guess. Wow. All right. Proverbs 1, I'm just going to read this in sections as we uh, look at it tonight. We'll finish up the chapter This chapter is very helpful if you will hear and receive it. Um, A storm is coming, and you'll see why and what that means as we work our way down through the text. Uh, I would say to you just an introduction, just to kind of get the ball rolling, if you will, but the world in general is somewhat, there are a lot of simple people, Um, simple people, yet at the same time, there is a well of wisdom available if people would just draw from this well. I don't know how you understand the word simple, but simple means complacent. Simple means naive, immature, ignorant, self-satisfied. Um, but, that, I know that sounds somewhat negative, but they're really the only ones in my text that have a chance. It's like they may be ignorant and they may be self-sufficient, but they still have the capacity that they might hear and change. Okay, So there's hope. If you're a simple person, you just kind of go through the motions, you're just kind of living out life, there's still hope for you. I mean, even tonight, you might actually hear and be changed by the Word. The other two classes of people in my text are going to be the full and the scornful. And in... In the context, I believe they've already punched their ticket for destruction. Uh, I think in many ways, they're almost beyond recovery. Uh, But the simple, there's still hope. Now, I put that in the world, but here's the, it kind of gets a little bit uh, cantankerous here, but churches seem to have more people in it that are simple, uh, simple people. And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, They read their Bibles, or at least they say they read their Bibles, at least at some point. Many of people in church even go to Bible studies, whether you call it Sunday school or small group or whether it's a midweek Bible study or or Tuesday or Thursday night. They even would do that. Um, Many people in the church have heard thousands of sermons or decades of preaching. Um, Many of the churches I go to when I preach to different places, the people that are there have been there 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. They've, they've always gone to church, uh, it seems like, most of their life. And yet, it seems like after decades of church, their life isn't no different than it was decades ago. So however they were on year one, they're still the same in year 40. They're nice people, and they probably tithe, and they, and they probably read their Bible a bit, but it, their life really doesn't function all that much differently. They haven't made much progress in godliness. They don't oppose the truth. Many of them would even say amen when truth is preached. 
The problem becomes when you start talking about putting the truth into practice. That's where there's a disconnect. See, the good people, they say, if they're looking for a pastor, they say, we want a pastor that will preach the truth. They'll say that. We want somebody that'll bring the book. But when the book's brought, nothing happens. It's just like, well, that's good. I'm glad they brought the book. Simple. Just don't mess up my world. Let me go through these motions. All right, so there's just a couple of introductory thoughts, but God's gracious call, it's always a gift of grace because God doesn't have to call any of us. So if God calls, it's a gracious call, but it must be humbly received and it must be applied or it's not going to have any benefit. I mean, it wouldn't matter who preaches it. Jesus himself preaches it. If I'm not humble enough to receive it and apply it, then it profits me nothing. All right, verse, uh, point number one, if you want to take notes, it's really easy, at least for the points. Wisdom calls. Wisdom calls. And let us read verses 20 through 22. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. And she says something like this. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? And we can insert how long again. How long will fools hate knowledge? So the same question asked to three classes of people. The simple, the scoffer, or the scornful, and the fool. So here we have a picture of wisdom, personified as a woman at least here in this text. And she's hollering in the middle of the street where all the people are. She's just screaming her lungs out, if you will. Right in the middle of everybody's business. Right in the middle of the government. Right in the middle of the education system of America. Right in the middle of the arts in the athletic rim, right in the middle of all competition, right in the middle of the supermarket, and she's yelling louder than any other voice in the world. I just want you to grasp this. I live in a world in which the world says things like this. You need an education. You need to go to school. You need to listen to your teacher. You need to get a degree. You can get a better job, and you can make more money. Education is important. Make sure you study, study, study. Make good grades. Don't be failing class. Put forth your best efforts. Study hard. Do good. The world says it all the time. And wisdom is saying, wisdom's over here. Come, come. And she's yelling, and people go, I don't care nothing about that stuff. Wisdom's yelling out truth from the Word of God, from the church of God, but the people are like, I don't want to put forth any effort. She's a street preacher, preaching at the top of her lungs. She's warning, she's scolding, and she's speaking in a demanding tone. You need wisdom. You need wisdom. You must get wisdom. She's pressing upon us. Why is she getting in the middle of our business? Because that's where the people are. Wherever they're at, she's crying out. 
hollering in the middle of the world. Hopeless unbelief versus hopeful faith. Think about this. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, unbelief says this. Some other time. Not now. Some other place. Not here. Some other people, but not us. On the other hand, faith says this, according to Tozer. Anything he did anywhere else, he will do here. Anything he did any other time, he is willing to do now. Anything he ever did for any other people, he's willing to do for us. God wants to work through us. That's why wisdom is crying out. Wisdom, the wisdom of God demands a hearing above the cacophony of voices we hear all across the world. We ought to take note and listen to God. Wisdom's calling out. Would anybody listen? Listening means receiving and applying. And the question, we noted it, we say it again. How long? For you, individually. For me, individually. How long? God, wisdom is calling out. How long? How long? How long? Three groups. The simple, the scoffer, and the fool. Now, the simple, we address first. The question is to them, how long? Oh, simple ones. Simple ones are ignorant of the value and danger of their own souls. They just love simplicity, according to Charles Bridges. I just, I just want to go through the motions. I want my conscience to be pacified, and I don't want my apple cart turned over. Can't we just all get along and just, just do this church thing and not press anything on me? Can't, can't you help me be comfortable here? A man does not have to say he hates wisdom. He just lives in contentment with the way he is. I wake up. I go to work. I eat lunch. I work to the end of the day. I come home. I cook. Yell at the kids. Kick the dog. Go to bed. Do the same thing the next day and the next day and the next day. Go to church on Sunday. Check in there for a little while. Start back over on Monday. That's my life. Don't mess it up. I'm going through this and I'm better off than a lot of folks. Those people out there, and they're doing this. At least I don't have all of that. I've got my little thing going on, and I'm comfortable in the monotony of existing. Simple. Not hot, not passionate about anything. They're not cold and indifferent to the degree that they're frozen. It's just going through life. Aren't you just glad I'm here? Undercommitted, no idea what they're even living for. Just going through the flow of my surroundings. Everybody's happy, I'm happy. Everybody's sad, I'm sad. Everybody's this, then I'm this. Whatever it is around me, I'm kind of just adapting to the situations and going through it the best way I know how. But I would say to you again, you still have a chance. You might listen today to wisdom when she cries out. Now, the other group is not so pleasant. They're the scoffers or the scornful. They delight in scoffing. These people, we won't spend no time on them tonight, but these people 
are aggressive. They're confident. They're calculating. Outwardly, they look very impressive. And often, many times, they're very successful. <laughs> yeah, just in my world, it may not be in your world, but many of these people are part of the Freemasons, man. They're, they're business leaders, and they got money, and they got influence in the city, and they got it all going on, and they kind of got influence with people, and they can move, they're movers and shakers. But you give them one chance, and they will cut your throat. Make no mistake about it. You say, well, who's like that? I don't know, Pharisees? They look good. They got all of it going on. They're religious. They got everything. You give them one chance, and they'll spit in the face of Jesus. They're scornful. Then the other group, and there's some that may even be in this church as well, but fools. And this is a, it's a terrible category. They hate knowledge. It's like, I don't want to know anything. I don't want to grow. I, I'm not going to memorize anything out of the Bible. I don't want to know doctrine. I don't want to know theology. I mean, I don't care about any of that stuff. Why? Because they're thick-headed, stubborn dullards, and they're not listening to nobody. That's just the way fools are. You may know some people like this. They always know a better way. They're always smarter than you. They always have an excuse for things that don't go right, and their excuses always end up making somebody else at fault. Nothing is ever their fault. I think the fool and the prideful are very, very similar. The scoffer and the fool are both on a path that leads to destruction. This is our text. Wisdom is calling out, and she's asking how long for the simple, for the scoffer, and for the fool. How long, and the question, how long what? How long will you take the wisdom of God and put it off and not apply it to your life? How long will you be around the things of God but never have the things of God change you? We insert a rhetorical question. When is the last time the Word of God conflicted with the way you lived and as a result your life was changed because God's Word said the opposite of what you wanted to do? This is wisdom when we receive God's Word even when it runs contrary to the grain. The wisdom of God is a fire. It's not poison. Poison kills. A fire purges. They ask these questions, they're rhetorical about nature, but how many sermons is it going to take before someone actually listens? The simple are not moved. You preach on revival, nobody weeps. You preach that children are going to hell without Christ and nobody is moved. Nobody weeps. Nobody comes down to the front, gets on their knees, and weeps their eyes out, begging God to have mercy on their child. Nobody's moving. It's like, this takes too much effort. I'm not doing that. Don't put that upon me. I'm not moved. You can preach with all the passion. You could preach monotone. You could preach quiet. You could preach really very, very slow. You could go very, very fast. It don't matter because we're not moving. We're very content in our religion, and we're just going to go through these motions. I don't care if Jesus is preaching. Don't upset my apple cart. I'm a simple guy. I don't kill anybody. I don't rob any banks. I don't have any bombs in my house, and I'm not going to shoot anybody this afternoon. I'm a pretty good guy. Let's just, let's just go along. The scoffer, on the other hand, mocks the preacher and he mocks God. The fool always knows more than the preacher. And as a matter of fact, he thinks he knows more than God. 
the majority of the people that are simple are in the church. They say in their heart, I know what the Bible says, but. And I know what the Bible says, preacher, but. And then we fill in the blanks. But I want. But I want. But it's important to me. But, you see, God wants me to be happy. No, he don't. Not in that context. They say, they say, amen. Somebody says, well, take the gospel to the world. Go to the Southern Baptist Convention. Let's take the gospel to the world. Amen. Ain't nobody taking it. You preach an evangelism conference. Take the gospel. Take the gospel. Like somebody's going to go outside and give out a track or tell somebody about Jesus. <laughs> don't, don't mess with me. I'm simple. I'm just saying amen to your sermon. I just don't believe it. They say amen to evangelism. Amen to missions. Man, build healthy churches in Mexico. (laughs) Buenos viajes. Have a good trip. But I ain't going. You see, I can't go and I can't be moved. You see, because preacher, I got a job. And I got to work. And I got to feed my family. I got responsibility. And I've got all these things going on. And there's no way that I can do missions and evangelism. I don't have time for that. That's what we pay you to do. I don't know. Let's change the situation. I have a seven-day cruise on Carnival Boat for free. You want to go? Oh, yeah, I could get off work. I could change my schedule. Oh, all of a sudden, you could be freed up for something you want. It's like, well, I, I can't be devoted to this. I can't be devoted to that. You put in the right scenario, and all the time frees up. They say preach the Word, but they haven't been moved by the Word of God in years. They say Jesus is primary, Jesus is all satisfying, Jesus is my contentment, but their lives are drowning in worldliness. That's what the simple are. And wisdom is saying, how long? Secondly, wisdom confronts. One verse, wisdom confronts, in verse 23. And the text reads, if... You turn at my reproof, you can use the word rebuke, it's the same word there. If you turn at my rebuke, wisdom is rebuking, wisdom is reproofing. If you will turn at that, behold, pay attention, there's two things I will do for you. I will pour out my spirit to you, and I will make my words known to you. Let me give you a couple of translations to get the flavor of this verse, at least this first line, ESV, if you turn at my reproof, NASB, turn to my reproof, (laughs) look at it, let it confront you. Another translation, you should respond to my rebuke, a very light translation that I don't recommend, but it does get the flavor of the verse, be turned again by my sharp words. Those words cut me. Let them turn you. Note, the moment of decision. Repentance is dying to self. Cutting the root. Rejecting the world. Seeking God for wisdom. I don't care what Phil says. I don't care what Oprah says. I don't care what the world says. God, I need a word from you. And whatever it is, I say yes and amen. It's a moment of decision. 
The man says, I'm tired of my life being what it is. Tired of this hamster wheel. Tired of the hustle and bustle. I'm tired of just running through these motions every day. Take the kids here. Take the kids there. Do this. Do that. Job this. Punch in. Punch out. Round and round we go on this hamster wheel. God says, turn. Turn. And I will give my spirit to lead you. My word to instruct you. And your obedience would be met with blessing. Charles Bridges again. He says, remember this. It is instant conversion, not to the consideration or resolution of the morrow. Wisdom's not, well, tomorrow, it's not that. The decision is today. He says this, delay is mockery of God. God speaks, and I say tomorrow. God speaks tomorrow. It's mockery. God's wisdom speaks, it is to be received now. Now is the time of decision. God pours out his spirit, and God makes his words known to you. Boy, when difficulty comes, and you have God's word and God's spirit, it helps you navigate some of the darkest waters you'll ever see. I ask rhetorically again, what's your response to reproof? What's your response to rebuke? What is is your response when somebody says, you are the man? You're the problem. You're the issue. What what is it? What happens when God's word comes and points right directly into your eyes and shows you your fault? Is it anger? Is it callousness? Is it offensiveness? How how do you respond? Do you respond like David? Oh my. And you, you write out this repentance. What's your response when confronted with God's word? You ignore it? That's just a stupid preacher preaching. Look, it's not the stupid preacher preaching. This is, we're we're dealing with the Word of God. This is God's Word written, and so we can't just put it off on the stupid preacher. God said, turn at my reproof. Do you scoff at it? Do you argue with God and say, well, that's just a different culture. That's just a different time. I mean, it's not like for today. Do you rationalize it out like somehow, oh, that's Old Testament and Solomon had a bunch of wives so I don't have to listen to this? You, you justify how you live and, and somehow negate the Word of God? That's, that's foolery. That's scorning. That's simple-mindedness. The Christian comes here under the fear of the Lord and said, ah, This is what God says, this is right. When is the last time your life was actually changed by the Word of God? When was the last time that you heard something from God's Word and because of it, something really changed in your life? When's the last time that happened? It's the last time God got your attention to such a degree that you said no to your own selfish desire. And you said yes to God when it conflicted with your flesh. If you'll turn at my rebuke, then I'll give you my spirit and I'll give you my word. But those two promises don't come without the turning. They don't come. Now, Point number three gets really bad. And I ask you to endure because I mean, it's God's word. I'm not going to skip it. But this is a, we have problems with point number three, I assure you. But we had wisdom calling. We have wisdom confronting us. If you turn at my rebuke, 
Now here comes this great danger. I just ask you to hear for just the minutes we have tonight. But I ask you to hear that wisdom may conceal herself. She doesn't have to expose herself. She doesn't have to work for you. And in this context, we may, God doesn't have to make himself known. It's like we think God has to do certain things. God can hide. And if God hides, what are you going to do? Now, in verses 24 through 31, read the text with me. Because I've called, this is wisdom, God calling through wisdom. I've called, but you wouldn't listen. You refuse to listen. He says, I've stretched out my hand, as in the sense of I'm trying to help you here. And you haven't heeded my, my grace or my mercy by stretching my hand to you. Because you've ignored all my counsel, you would have none of my reproof, none of my rebuke. And here's the deal. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm. And your calamity comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I'm not going to answer. They're going to seek me diligently, but they're not going to find me. Why? Because they hated knowledge, they did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, and despised all of my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of of their way. Just bear with the text, let it sink in and consider it for your own life, your own soul, the cause of misery. There's miserable people maybe here tonight, there were some here this morning, got no joy, life's a mess, things don't work out, everything's just terrible, they have no joy of the Lord, they have no freedom, and just kind of just sunk down into despair. What's the cause of misery, at least in my text? A refusal to listen. How in the world can you have the blessed joy of the Lord if you will not listen to the wisdom of the word of the Lord? It's impossible. You say, I'm not going to receive God's word and what it says. Then how do you intend to ever be blessed? A refusal to listen causes misery. The helping hand of God is extended And then it's shunned by men. They ignore God's counsel. It says they would have none of, or they would not comply with God's rebuke. Their flesh said, I want to do this. And God said, you're wrong. I'll have none of it. I will not comply with you, God. I am going to live life my way. And they remain miserable. And you don't understand why they're in misery, and yet they never consider the reality that they never apply any truths of God's Word to their life. And so they never apply it, and misery just keeps coming. There's a storm coming for many people. Storm coming. Verses 26 and 27. I'll laugh at your calamity, mock when terror strikes you, when the terror strikes you like a storm. Your calamity comes like a whirlwind. Distress and anguish come upon you. So you see in this text, I also will laugh. The implication is they were laughing at God, and now God's going to laugh at them. God's laughing at men's calamity. Let me give you a couple of 
translations of other verses. Proverbs 11.10 is later on in the book. And this is difficult. It's probably not one of your favorite memory verses or probably not a memory verse. But it says this. When things go well with the righteous, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Or we say it a different way. When the righteous do well, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there is joy. Or another way, when things go well for the upright man, all the town is glad. At the death of sinners, there are cries for joy. You think about even Psalms and nations rage, kingdoms, people railing against God. And the text says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. One of these people keeps staying like this. The Lord holds them in derision because they spent their lives mocking his wisdom. Why, why in the world does God mock? <laughs> when, or when does God mock? In our text, he mocks when terror comes like a storm. When calamity comes like a whirlwind. <clears throat> when distress and anguish come upon you. It's like... When the person, simple, scornful, or foolish, who is not moved by the Word of God, when their life falls apart and everything goes awry and all of a sudden they get religious and want to call out, God mocks them for their hypocrisy. That's pretty tough stuff. Here I am now. God, if you heal me, I'll go to church. You lying hypocrite. You think God doesn't know your heart? And he mocks, like, you want my help now? I'm not giving you any help. People don't think about things like this. It's like we have such a, 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 a downgrade of God in our society that we think that anybody that calls at any time, God will come running. You might call for years and he never show up because he's already wrote you off because you won't listen. You won't respond to anything he says. And he's like, he's been knocking and knocking. knocking. Can you get a picture of God standing at the door of your heart in a sense? And he's knocking and he knocks for the last time. And you're lost while still alive. You're in hell before you even get there. And there's no grace left. Tragedy of tragedies. Crying out to God and he's not listening. The only one who can give you an answer, and he refuses to give it. Terminal cancer, job loss, marriage troubles, rebellious children, financial disaster, depression, addictions, and you finally muster up enough strength to cry out, and God says, I'm not listening, and I'm not giving you an answer. Then where do you go? What do you do? And you say, Pastor, this isn't me. Then take great value that God hears you when you pray. Take great joy that God answers you and keep responding to His truth because God doesn't have to. To be forsaken of God at any time is an awful judgment. Even if it's a temporary time, it's awful. Remember in Hosea chapter 9 and verse 12. Woe to them 
when I depart from them. I remember Saul, King Saul, not New Testament Saul, but the Old Testament King Saul. He says, this is what he says, I'm in great distress. In great distress. Why is he in distress? God has turned away from me and he answers me no more. That's where he was. Why in the world? I've heard the love of God my whole life. And nothing about this sermon negates the love of God, by the way. But you hear this love of God your whole life. And then we hear something about God concealing, wisdom concealing. Why would God hide? Why would God hide from anybody? Why would he conceal himself? Why would he take his wisdom and put it over here where you can't find it? Because they hated knowledge. They hated the truth. They wouldn't respond to the truth. This is the consequence for saying no, no, no to God when he speaks. These people wouldn't choose the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a fear that conforms us to the truth of what he says. And they say, I will not have this man rule over me. I'm going to live how I want to live. They would not have. They would not comply to God's counsel. They despised his rebuke. That's why God's hid. This is the consequence of not receiving the Word of God. And no, I picked on the church that I preached at the other day, but I just can't get it out of my mind. I've, I've known that church since I was in the fourth grade. From the fourth grade, I've known those people, and some of those same eight people are sitting there, and they're exactly like they were 40 years ago, and they're never moved. I preached my heart out, you asked Joshua, I cried, I wept, I pleaded, and everybody's like, have a nice day and they just go home. Nobody's moved. It's like there comes a point God says, yeah, your day's coming. When you call, I ain't listening. Now the church is closing. They don't know what to do and they got nobody to seek an answer for. The conclusion of life in verse 31 is terrible. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and they'll have the feel of their own devices. You reap what you sow. You continue, they continue to be stuffed full of their own counsel. Imagine. I didn't even, what about you? What, what do you do? What do you do when life comes? What, what do you do when situations happen? You didn't call me, not that I'm the guru for truth, but I know you didn't call me because you don't ever call to ask my counsel. What do you not ask counsel? You, you don't ask counsel for this, you don't ask counsel for that, you don't ask counsel for anything. It's like, but maybe, and this would be better, maybe you go to the Word and you find the truth, and when you find the truth, you respond and submit to that truth. If you do that, praise God. But I would say to you, in life, in difficulty, would you not Seek counsel from somebody who knew the Bible and who could point you to the truth and say, walk this way. You say, that's not the way I want to walk. But God says, and you go, God's right and I'm wrong. It's terrible. Sorrow comes from the blackness within the heart of self-governance. Hardness of heart inherits itself. C.S. Lewis There are only two kinds of people in the end. This is a devastating statement. In the end, there's only two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done. Boy, if you're one of those people, it's a great people to be. And then there's the others. And God says, thy will be done. Live however you want. The day of grace has its limits. 
quote, there is a knock which will be the last knock that a sinner may be lost on this side of hell, entreated, pleaded with, and wept over, yet lost. Do you understand the pressure here? Do you understand the grave weight here? Do you understand the souls in this church who will not repent, who will not believe, who will not be baptized by immersion? They're wept over, they're prayed over, they're pleaded with, and they're interceded for, and they're beseeched by God and say, please save them. And then one day is going to come after hundreds of sermons that they don't respond to, and they're going to walk out those doors, and they're going to die and go to hell. And like, what? It just breaks my heart. Like, I don't know how to preach any clearer. I don't know how to beg God any harder. Would you listen before God cuts you off? I'm going to sow my wild oats. What happens when you get them all sowed and then God's already concealed himself? The danger that people are in facing a real hell for a real eternity. And yet, they won't listen. My spirit shall not always abide with man. That's what he told Noah. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't do it. Don't harden your heart. Today, hear and receive. And then we come to the last. Wisdom comforts. There's just a touch more of bad news, but we will end with very good news. But wisdom does comfort. But the simple are exempt from comfort. Look at verse 32. For the simple are killed by their turning away. And the complacency of fools destroys them. This Hebrew word for kill is broad enough to cover murder, massacre, killing in battle, or execution. Here in our text, it is the judicial execution of God, by God, using their own foolish choices as the means to their ruin. God takes their foolish decisions and uses them to destroy them. The damning nature of complacency, self-sufficiency, or careless security is a dangerous way to live. It's this leisure gained by ignoring or neglecting the serious responsibilities that you have before a holy God. And just to be at leisure and ignore them, it's dangerous. Now we get to the contrast, the last verse. But. We have good news here. But. It don't have to be that way for you. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way for me. All these things are true. God's Word says them. But there's another option. There's a better option. Would you listen tonight to the last verse? Whoever listens to me will dwell secure, will be at ease, and will have no dread of disaster. Whoever listens, think about Deuteronomy 33, 12, when given these blessings. He says of Benjamin, the beloved of the Lord dwells in safety. 
He dwells secure. Or in Psalm 16, 9, Therefore my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. Whoever listens dwells secure. But whoever listens will be at ease to rest undisturbed and quiet. Here's the thing. I, there's a lot of things I love about Jesus. But, you know, he was never anxious. He's never in a hurry. He's never late. You know, he's always just right on time, never flustered by circumstances. Hey, people are, people are weird. I, you know, my neighbor's weird. Uh, you know, I, I, five in the morning, I mean, I'm still impressed because he has a Chevy pickup, and he goes out of his driveway, and he burns his tires, and there's black marks all in front of my house. And I'm like, dude, you're going to a stop sign. It's only like, you know, 100 feet down there. I mean, like, are you, what's the deal? So I go over there, I say, Dude, I'm impressed. And he's looking at me like, impressed about what? I said, first of all, I'm impressed you got a Chevy and it'll actually spin the tire. That's impressive. And then I said, like, what are you doing? I mean, you're spinning out to go to a stop sign. And he says, but I'm late for work. Now, I know the implication. But I don't spin my tires when I leave my driveway. I know you say Ford can't spin its tires. I got it. But I don't spin my tires. Why? I'm not late. I'm not in a hurry. I'm not rushing anywhere. Why? Because I believe this book and in the wisdom that is given to me, I dwell securely and I'm at ease. I'm not frantic, trying to run here and there, driving a thousand miles an hour to get nowhere. It makes no sense. No dread of disaster. The simpler and a rude awakening someday are in for a rude awakening But those who respond to the call of wisdom, calm, protected, at peace, and walk a path that brings total fulfillment in this life and in the life to come. Every day, satisfied. You want it in a different wording? Come to me, all who labor, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, light to bear. Don't don't stay in this thing. Listen to Christ and come to Him. Tranquility of conscience is experienced by those who hear the call of wisdom and answer the call by obeying what this call says. In conclusion, and we have time, but in conclusion, The world and much of the confessing church is overwhelmed with the hustle and bustle of life. People, here's the phrases, I need a break. I need to get away. I need to chill for a while. And they respond by what? Eating and eating and eating and drinking and playing and scrolling and binging on the TV and gambling and on and on and on. And the result ends, they decide, after all of that, they still don't have any help. And they decide to call out to God and they find that God stopped listening years ago because he had left them to themselves. Their lives are built on sand and they crumble every day. People lose their minds because the red light won't change. 
I mean, are you kidding me? All it takes is for the light not to change in three seconds to make you mad? Is that where we've come to? That just the littlest things set us off, our faces turn red, and we yell? I mean, is it so bad that you're over here in a red light, and I'm over here on my bicycle, and I take off before you that you have to cuss me out? I don't understand what's going on. Why is everybody so tense? Because they won't come to Christ. Won't come. But there are few who have found that Christ is the wisdom of God. They've come by faith. They've found a yoke that's light and easy. As Raymond C. Ortland Jr. said, If we listen to Christ, we will change. And we will look stupid in the world's eyes for the rest of our lives. Are you willing? Are you willing? The world offers complacency. That is its false promise. Christ offers you ease. That is his true promise to all who listen to him in urgency. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. How do you respond week in and week out to the truth that is proclaimed from God's word? That shows you what category you're in. Simple, scornful, foolish, or just a humble believer who trusts Christ. And that person is truly blessed. Father, thank you for your word tonight. And I pray that we would hear wisdom's cry. And we would come to her often. We would read, meditate, memorize, And for whatever situation we face, we would dig through this Word to find biblical counsel, and we would let your Word reign supreme, even if it goes against our flesh. We pray these things tonight, by your Spirit, in Christ's name, amen. Lord bless.